0: We keep together when the world is trying to keep us apart. this is truth to ponder with Bob Bierman earlier this week I kind of shared my story of doing some travel during this uh, time of coronavirus in the fall of this past year I had to travel I' mentioned to through Washington DC on the way to a community in the in the western part of Virginia. And it was also a time when so many churches are being told, shut your doors, shut your doors, slam them shut. And if you do, you know, at these just unrealistic percentages, like 10, 20 percent, and make sure you can keep social distancing, wear a mask. Even if you're the pastor up at the front of the church, wear a mask. I've seen that done. It varied from state to state. Yet there was no problem shoving a shoulder-to-shoulder in an airliner, and, and so certain restaurants, I saw this, you remember not long ago, California, good example California, poor gal had a restaurant, she spent a fortune setting up outdoor dining to meet the ever-changing requirements and they still shut her down but they let a movie studio put an identical setup for a restaurant for their people in her parking lot double standards everywhere it's like there's this desire to destroy local business, and destroy local community, and just turn us over to the mega corporations, the Amazons, the WalMarts, the Biggies. They made huge profits, billions in additional profits last year, while many mom Ma and pa stores would be closed forever. Chain restaurants they were able to run their drive-in windows and block street traffic. They did fine. In many cases, they did better. I've been feeling something deep inside, and my wife and I cannot put our finger on it quite yet. We divide our time between a home in Georgia and one in Florida. And yet God keeps saying to me, and remember, I'm also in ministry. This is not all that I do. This is just a little something that God laid on me to do this radio program. But this word "community" keeps coming to mind, and, and not in the sense, not in the sense of communal, but community. And I've been trying to get my finger on it. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not advocating that Christians do what Jesus says not to do when someone says, "Here's the Christ, there's the Christ. Let's run out in the wilderness. Let's hide in caves." Jesus said, don't do that. But we need a sense of community. And I think that that is something that is missing in in much of our true Christian life today, is understanding, let me say this again, thoroughly understanding what Christian community is. The American model for, quote, a Christian community has been the neighborhood church, the cathedral, nowadays the megachurch church with the big parking lot and and coffee bar and bookstore. And there are other churches that have been barely hanging on. And in some of their cases, it's probably a good thing. There are a number of churches that I can think of off the top of my mind, people that I've met, that I think they would be doing the world a service if they went out of business entirely and stopped sharing their heresies their garbage, their social justice, idiocy, and their mockery of Scripture. They would do the world a favor if they disappeared tomorrow. It's the true Christians that I worry about the most. It's those that truly believe and are trying to figure their way through this new time. See, remember, the early church in the first centuries, they were dealing with with the fact that they were hated by everybody, that worshiping, you know, it's kind of like being in China or North Korea. You know, you're not allowed just to build a church. And what very few there are in China that are licensed by the government, they're probably like the churches in this country in some cases, not all, that we would be better off without. We need to relearn what it means to be a Christian community it's no longer going to be the big building it's no longer going to be the big campus in many places they're not coming back some people are scared and we've been separating also in this process some sheep from goats people's faith they're putting their faith in man over God and even though they know better so I've been hearing this word Christian community now, does that mean we moved, like I said, to the same piece of dirt? No, I don't think so. Maybe there'll be some cases where that makes sense. But overall, a lot of people are feeling this urge to get out of places like New York, New Jersey, uh, maybe some other draconian state like Michigan, and maybe head to a place like a, a Florida or a Tennessee, and not necessarily in Florida, you know, in the big coastal cities, and not in the big cities. In other states, they're looking for more freedom of being able to associate, worship, and be in whatever it is that God is leading us toward community. My guest today, the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales. Having you back, we're going to continue our discussion from yesterday a little bit. And let's kind of change our direction. And let's talk about what is Christian community.
1: Those of like mind. They don't necessarily live together. They don't necessarily live right next to each other. But they're nearby, and, and God has his chosen individuals nearby, mm-hmm. people of like mind, like you know, the cave of Adullam. In Second Samuel, David went to the cave of Adullam, and we're told that everyone who was discontent, in anxiety, scared, in debt, they gathered themselves to David, and they became his mighty army. There's like three hundred of them mm-hmm. only, but they became David's mighty army. They were the ones God had picked for that purpose mm-hmm. and in every community God has people you you will find them he'll send them to you, you'll Absolutely. meet them somewhere you'll begin to know hey, they see it, I see it you know, and, and you, you kind of form those relationships mm-hmm. and that's the way God works. Uh, people who are thinking this is all going to just blow over no. are, are completely wrong. You know, you ever hear of a, of a, he was actually a reformed guy in Scotland, Samuel Rutherford mm-hmm. yep. back in the 1600s. And he was kind of fighting against some persecution in his day in Scotland from the church and and the king. And, you know, Rutherford, before he died, he made this statement, and I, I've always loved this, memorized it. He said, God hath called you to Christ's side, and the wind is now in Christ's face in this land. And seeing that you are with him, you cannot expect the lee side mm-hmm. or the sunny side of the Bray. Yes. That's all of us. We, we can't expect the lee side or the sunny side, the good. No. Look. The, the wind is in Christ's face in our land. Yes. And we are going to have to go through this. And there are others like-minded that he will bring alongside, and we will end up doing what we can for one another. But, folks, that's where we are. And it's time that we're going to, to recognize things aren't going to go back to normal. The church is going in the catacombs now. And, I, you know, I was reading something the other day about the catacomb church, and it said that in, in Russia, Bolshevik for sure, when they did have a catacomb church, they had several layers, which I thought was interesting. They had one layer, which was kind of an initial meeting. So mm-hmm. there were one person would kind of form that, and it would be people who came over and say, hey, yeah, I want to be part of the catacomb church. That was to weed out the KGB, the Bolshevik yep. agents mm-hmm. who Absolutely. were trying to find them. So they would have Bible study, whatever, a service, and they would do that for a number of months until they felt that these people were sincere and not just agents. Yes. And then you'd go to the second group. They might initiate you into the second group, which still was a weeding out group that people didn't know. And you'd stay there for maybe another year going and if they finally felt you were legit and knew you well enough, you went into the regular church group. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? You know, a, a bunch of layers, nobody wow. knew where other people really were from, and because they didn't want to know that in case they were captured, tortured, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just they—they they knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, you should read some of these books and understand. Read Solzhenitsyn, read uh, Archipelago, Gulag Archipelago. Mm-hmm. Read some of these books. Father Arsini is another book. I mean, this is a guy who was in uh, in the Gulag for years, so you start to read and you learn about the underground church, even, even the Lutherans, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, what was it called? Tortured for Christ. Yes. Uh, by what's his name again? were uh, it starts with a W. He was a Lutheran minister anyway, in Hungary. um, and, and and here's what i mean you you see these individuals they're the ones who went through it yes. and and survived i know a guy who was in stalin's occupation of hungary and he said the the there was a he was in a smaller town village there was a catholic church and there was a calvinistic um some sort of calvinistic church for hungary uh he said that church immediately capitulated did whatever stalin said mm-hmm. they the priest from his church, they came and they took him, carted him off. You never saw him again because he wouldn't capitulate, right. you Absolutely. know, and and you sit there and you go, we're going to find that. We're going to find that everywhere we go. The question is, who do you serve? And you better ask yourself that. And if you're a, a minister, ask yourself that. If you're a lay person, ask yourself that. Who are you serving right now? John said one thing that I always keep in my mind: John the Apostle in his epistle, he said, "Little children, keep yourselves from idols." Amen. What is the idol you're hooking yourself onto? Is it your money, your comfort of life, your things, or your relationship with Christ, which oh. isn't an idol? You, you said something before that that just triggered a, a
0: little childhood memory that i think may help give a nice little example you talked about the wind in christ face mm-hmm. and i'm thinking to myself i as a young child i had one of those uh, call it, it it wasn't a silver spoon childhood believe me but we lived my grandparents lived on manhasset bay it's a small bay on the north shore of long island very gentle waters Uh, Very, you know, you have a little low tide and a high tide. And and I learned how to swim there. And I learned how to sail a small boat there. And then even to slightly bigger boats. And over the years of my young years, you know, you could sail there just gently having a wonderful afternoon in the bay. But you always could see the shore on both sides because it's a bay. You could see the north. I mean, you could see the outlet heading to the Long Island Sound. But I, all my younger years, I just sailed in this very safe bay until I got into my teens. And I was asked to crew a boat one night from Connecticut, way out in Connecticut, back to Long Island. And it was to move a boat, a Rhodes-19. I think that was the, the model number or the type. It wasn't a very big sailboat. It had a little lower galley and, and, uh, and head, as they call them. And my brother and I, my uncle and this other guy, and you know, we were. our job was we had to get this boat in by the next morning for a sailboat race. Well, the weather forecast back in those days, in the late 60s, were not as near as accurate as the ones we have today. And so we were driven up to Connecticut, and we board the boat at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to be sailing all night. And this is going to be quite an experience. Well kind of reminds me of what happened to the disciples a storm came up in the middle of that night thunder and lightning wind awful waves crashing across you couldn't see the shore and it was the first time in my life I had been in a sailboat where I didn't know where the shore was and I had lost that sense of security and suddenly I had to learn how to trust a guy that knew how to use a compass. And other directional finding, you know, methodologies of, of being a navigator. Mm-hmm. And you're suddenly putting your trust into something you can't see. I mean, think about that. That is a huge experience. I'm sure for anybody that ever became an instrument-rated pilot, the same thing. That first time you put the blindfolds on, so to speak, in essence, and you you only see the instruments. You can't see the window. Yep. It's, it's a strange feeling. This is where I I talked about this over this past weekend, and I wanted to really get your reaction on this. In the Bible, there's this word that sometimes in some translations, it, it gets interchanged, and maybe it shouldn't. You know, believe in Jesus or believe on him. You know, I can believe in anything. I can believe that the shore was there. I could believe... You know, I can believe that there's an airplane flying over my head, but until I get in that airplane, then I now I'm believing on that airplane because I'm dependent upon it. It's not abstract; it's real. And you know, you get over. You better get over your fear. And I think for too many Christians, we have an abstract belief, but we've never tested our faith to put our entire life on it. And most don't want to. They're afraid to. Or they refuse to. What is what? What's the Lord putting on your heart when I say we don't know how to fully trust our Savior?
1: Well, we we gain the kingdom through trial and tribulation. Period. We don't gain it through, you know, making making this one decision on a campfire and throwing my piece of paper in the fire and mm-hmm. saying I'm I'm, I'm in. Mm. Uh, you know, we go through trial and tribulation, and that's what starts to to, to sift on our trust mm-hmm. and our and our faith and what we have and what we don't have. Uh, when when we lose things, we lose people, we lose material things. Your faith is tested. I mean, the parable of the seeds, right? When you when you are in a position where you have nothing but Christ and you understand you have everything in him. So, you know, trial and tribulation is not a curse. He chastises Mm -hmm. those whom he loves, you know, and whenever I I had a guy, I always went through stuff in my life and I had one guy who said, boy, Lord must love you. (laughs) You know, and I would, I would say, well, thanks, you know, but this this is true. God will bring you through those things because he's refining you. That's his refining fire. You know, his refining fire isn't a good conference you went to on the weekend and sang some great mm-hmm. songs. The, the refiner's fire is the loss of loved ones the yes. hurt the pain yes. whatever it might be that comes in your life and and you know I teach on that being somebody who who does that in my own day-to-day life it, we need to learn to use our mortality for our immortality and and that means all of our suffering is useful all of our trials in this life is useful for our eternal life and we need to know that mm. if we don't we're going to think, well, maybe we're just cursed, or we have bad luck, or God doesn't love me, or whatever it might be. But we've got to stop that. Uh, I, you know, I used to say this, and I uh, again, it's something that I memorized myself. But I used to say, Tim, either you're going to move full storm ahead and accomplish much for God, or someday you're going to trip and stumble over yourself. And, and I think that's true for and all. And which of will us. it be? You know, that's right. You're going to you're going to go through the trials. Or you're going to stumble over yourself. You're going to sit in a pity pot and cry and stir the pot and say, "Woe is me." Or you're going to get up mm-hmm. and you're going to keep going. That's really what it comes down to. I had a, uh, I, had, I had my son who's six years old. When he was six years old, he said to me, "Dad, what's the Christian life?" Imagine a six-year-old asking that. I think he overheard me talking to my wife, and that term, he asked me what it was, and I said to him, "You know what." I'm like, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to tell this six-year-old in a way that he'll understand it. And and they just came to me. I said, you know, remember – in the summer when you were following your 10 your year old brother, you were running after him in the front yard. Both mm-hmm. of you were barefoot in the grass. Right. You were laughing. And I said, you were following him and you fell. And, and then you got up again, and started laughing and you kept running after him and you fell. And you got up and you started running after him and you fell again. I said, that's the Christian life. Hmm. We run, we fall down. We get back up, we run, we fall down. That's the Christian life. Don't be afraid of falling down. Be afraid when you stop getting up.
2: Mm.
0: Where are the churches today that have surrendered to the pandemic? what are they going to be six months or a year from now? I mean if they're holding out this this blind hope that all we need is the vaccine and everybody gets to take their face mask off and have coffee again. You know, make coffee hour great again. You know, that's, that's <laughs> probably one of the few things the Episcopalians would almost sound like Trump on these days. You know, right, make right. coffee hour great again. But, <laughs> you know, Macca. Um, I, my, my, my worry is it's not coming back. And in some cases, no. I hope it doesn't come back. Because we've had a lot of worldly churches that run around and they're nothing but dead men in fine raiment or women, as the case may be, leading you into a damnable, you know, heresy, and and trying to invite you straight into hell,
1: as you are becoming a part of a cancel culture. Well, just what you said a minute ago. You said, "What are these churches going to be that we see right now that are out there fearful and masking up and everything else?" Mm-hmm. They're they're going to be the blind guides of the blind. They're going to be the ones that become a part of this world religion because their hope isn't so much in Christ as it is in science, as it is in the vaccine, Fauci and all of them and the government. And when we're told we're allowed to do something, then they're going to follow. But imagine when they have – when they do make coffee hour great again mm -hmm. and imagine when we're all able to go back to coffee hour except – you and I and and my family aren't vaccinated.
0: We're not going to be they're there. Gonna,
1: no, because we're not going to be allowed in, because then they're going to all have to put their mask back on, hey, so you know, they the, won't the,
0: even the, let us in. Uh, the, I just have this strange thought. You know, I, I was thinking of some of what I call these churches of the woke. You know, and when I, when I say that, I'm not talking, even though the Washington National Cathedral would definitely be in that, it's enough of a tourist attraction that they get a decent crowd on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of these what I call church of the woke in many communities that maybe 75 years ago they had, you know, they were running at 80, 90 percent capacity in the pews. These days, they're 20 or 25 percent capacity when they still have to maintain a certain level of social distancing. It won't make any difference because they have the room to do it because they're not they're already on the verge of closing down anyway. So it will mask their problem along with the mask
1: they're wearing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Look, the churches have changed you know, completely, they will continue to change because they're going to adopt whatever laws and whatever advice the CDC, who, and the local Mm -hmm. government is giving them. So we see who they're following. Uh, I hate to say it, but we're really seeing who they're following. Yeah. And and we're going to have to... They're following
0: St. Fauci.
1: Yes. And those who see these things and refuse the vaccine or refuse, you know, whatever, they're going to have to meet other places. And they're, they're following and, St. Andrew Cuomo, the pious. Right, right. And, and those who separate are going to be more they're going to be really awake to what's going on mm. they're going to to be much more zealous for the faith they're going to Amen. to love the lord and they're going to be on fire Amen. i'm telling you now because they're the ones who are going to be martyred they're the ones many of them will be more many of us i i fully expect that uh and and i'm okay with that you know this this life i know my job yours is to get the word out and to get people open people's eyes god knows who's going to go through that and who isn't but uh either way you need to be okay but for me to live as christ and to die is gain that's what paul would you know, say and i agree with him my my, so. my wife and i pray and you know we're, we're trying to
0: there are a lot of people that we know all over the country being kind of moved around. Now, we're not being moved to the, all the same town or something. That's not happening at all. But i us say what is happening, you know, regions of, of the country are, are people are just kind of beginning this moving process. Uh, they may, they mm-hmm. may be a mile away. They may be 80 miles or 100 miles away. And, and it's kind of like God is creating these what I call community concepts. And places, I mean, I, I can envision, I, I'll t- I was looking at a piece of property a couple of weeks ago for a family member that was considering coming south. Mm-hmm. And they still are, And they but they found a different area in the south, not near us. But, you know, something that, so we, we decided, sure, we'll run over and take a look at it. And I'm not going to say where it is or what, but, but something was laid in my heart. It's kind of, you know, God uses these things that we see, whether we believe it or not and i'm looking at this you know nice house and there was another you know mobile home really nice one on the property and it had some workshops and storage buildings when i say storage i mean concrete floors you could heat and air the thing i mean they were really nice and, and just a house and it was out in the country in a in a small county and i'm i'm looking at all this acreage in the back with some woods and some clearings and and even a little, i'm thinking you know You could put a small campground back there, like where you could bring in no more than maybe five to maybe eight people. That's it, really tiny campground. Build a a small chapel and building, and occasionally have people that can, and, and have some campers that are usable there that can be put on the, you know, out there that can be stored. And let a family come out for a long weekend, time of fellowship and prayer away from the world. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of that around the country. You're not going to live there all the time, but there are going to be times when you need to recharge your batteries. And, and you, you you, and I are both in ministry. And there are a lot of times that, in clergy in particular, we need that camaraderie. We need that time of refreshment. We need that time to, you know, share the burdens of each other's ministry and together lay them on the altar. And I know you've been there. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing we're coming into this time, and when you look at it, that's that's really the first century and second and third century church all over again., yes. that's how they function. They function out of people's homes. If, you know, you were talking before about the layers of a church in in the Soviet Union. And I remember in a at a class that I took a number of years ago, what did an early church lay out? especially those that were still sacramental they hadn't gone into this pulpit driven when they were still having communion every Sunday in the early church and, and we had what the, we use this term the service as kind of the the first part and the second part and they used to have a deacon guarding the door to be the gatekeeper of who was in and they would have to know if this person was supposed to be there you know and mm-hmm. you, you could bring a friend but that was already, predetermined. And those not yet confirmed in the faith or baptized in the faith, they were allowed to be in the first part of the service where they heard God's Word, prayers, blessings, Mm -hmm. uh, and a message. And at that point, they were dismissed and they would leave. Because they were not yet inaugurated into the church and baptized. And so the communion part was, was reserved only for those that were Fully, vet, you know, vested in the faith. Yep. The others were there to hear God's word, and and even then, when you think about it, by invitation only.
1: Yeah, it's that's still done in the liturgy of uh, Eastern churches. They mm-hmm. they talk to they. There comes a point where they say the catechumens, catechumens mm-hmm. depart. Yep. They they say the doors the doors catechumens depart and you you're, you were to leave an early church you were to get up and leave and then the communion service was just for for those who have fully vested in the faith exactly
0: period. exactly and I think I think the church needs to kind of go back to that model because we got a lot of people that don't even understand what church is all about we got to yeah. take a break real quick here and and I, I don't we got I want to finish this conversation about church and community and and most important, while, while we're in this break, I'm going to ask you to really reach inside of yourself in prayer. And 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 I want you to bring a message. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but something says I can get away with this. I just The Lord just said to ask you, because I think you're already prepared and don't even know it. I've been asked to sometimes speak at a topic, and I'm going, really? and And then I listen back later, and I'm going, Lord, thank you. You gave me a message. So when we come back, what is the message for the true believer? And and, and what should he, and I, I'll use the term loosely, divorce himself from in this world and, and even in institutionalized churches? I think there's some things we're going to have to jettison. We'll get back to that in just a, a few minutes. This
3: is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. Wax Fruit. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. You ever sit down at somebody's kitchen table or dining room table and in the middle of the table is a bowl of fruit and the fruit looks delicious and you're hungry and you're lusting after these fruits, but you can't eat them. You can't do anything with them, but look because they're wax. So in the book of Galatians, it's written, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are the things that are supposed to be in your life. And they're all called fruit. The problem is many believers choose instead to have wax fruit. We try to act loving, act good, act kind, act joyful, instead of really being these things. We try to manufacture love instead of letting love grow. We try to fashion a life of goodness from the outside in by doing good things because we have to do them instead of from the inside out from our hearts. And we want quick fruits, factory produced on schedule fruits instead of fruits that take time to grow. So what do we end up with? A life of waxed fruits of the spirit. But the fruits of the spirit are real fruits, not wax. And if you want real fruit in your life, stop trying to act fruitful and learn to become fruitful. Stop acting, stop demanding it right away. Stop trying to live as a believer from the outside in. Learn to be fruitful Fruit has to be grown. Let it soak into your life. Let God's love soak in your life and let it grow into love and goodness. Live your life in him from the inside out, from a heart that's growing in his love. It'll take time, but it's worth it because real fruit is sweet. Learn the secrets of growing the fruits of his spirit from the inside of your heart out and your life will become sweet. Everything else, it's just wax. Want more? Ask for the fruit of light. How'd you like to receive something so awesome? It's been hidden for 2,000 years. Never before revealed. You can the awesome, unprecedented mystery of the temple doors and sapphires guaranteed to help you become strong and victorious and fruitful in God. How do you get all these free gifts? Easy. Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name and dial it Yeshua. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA1. You'll be so blessed, but call now 1-800-YESHUA1. Now, I invite you to join with me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and all the unreached peoples on five continents with over a billion people. Just call now, 1 800, yes, 1, that's Y E S H U A 1, or write me direct, The Nice Jewish Boy, at Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. It's The Nice Jewish Boy, it's Box 1111, it's Lodi, L O D I, New Jersey, and the zip is 07644. Well, until next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend and Messiah, Or HaOlam, the light of the world.
0: This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of Truth to Ponder. Hard to believe our week is almost over. It's Thursday as we continue on on the program on our journey. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Timothy Gales. We're gonna get back to our discussion in in just a moment. Just wanna remind you that uh, this program has been heard a lot lately on shortwave and it's growing. And I wanna thank all of you that have made that possible. Just trying to get a handle on what stations are doing the best for us. We currently broadcast on a number of frequencies from WRMI. And they're based out of Okeechobee, Florida. We're on, I think, two different frequencies uh, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Eastern, and four nights a week at 10 p.m. Eastern on a couple of different frequencies. I think Monday and Tuesday, there are a couple of additional airings as well to the West. We're praying for more opportunity to get the signal to go farther to the West and toward California, uh, better coverage into parts of Texas. It's one of the reasons we're, we're trying out and using have paid for time on KVOH out of California in hopes of getting better coverage into Arizona, Texas, Nevada, Louisiana, and even parts of Florida that WRMI just can't reach. And so if you're listening, it really does help me to know that the investment is worth it. Others have suggested other radio stations based out of other cities. There's one or there's one in Pennsylvania, one up in Maine that people have mentioned. I'm not sure if it'll work for us. Obviously, it's not in the budget right now, but these are things to consider as we move forward. So if you have some ideas, let me know. If you think you can help, let me know as well. Getting back to our program right now with Dr. Gales. We've been talking about this strange time in which we live. This year that has gone by has really decimated many churches. Many churches will never come back to anything near what they were and that'll happen for a number of reasons. In some cases some people were looking for an excuse not to go. Let's be honest, there, there is no doubt in my mind that for many it is easy to stay home and not participate and if anybody asks say well you know we're just we're just concerned about COVID-19 you know we, we could die of it. And maybe you might. Some churches that worry more about this mortal life because their theology has been pretty dismal when it comes to things eternal the Episcopal Church being one they're more concerned about transgenderism and same sex marriages than they are about the redeeming blood of Jesus and so is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America I'm just going to say what it is many a Methodist. I know some Presbyterians same thing. Guess what? I hope you guys stay closed. I hope your doors shut for good because you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God except being a stumbling block. So may your doors be forever shut. But the real church a lot of people don't know enough about their faith. And so they know they need to do something. They want to Want to be evangelical? They they want to share the good news, but there's this hesitation in this time of pandemic. The pandemic without end sometimes, I think. They keep trying to extend it out. So, Dr. Gales, how do we how do we define what is
1: the real or the the true church? The real church in the 21st century, in my view, is the church that's holding on to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The one that hasn't compromised with the age, that has held on to the same truths and the same relationship with the Lord that all of their predecessors throughout every age held on to and didn't compromise. Mm-hmm. That's the true church, whether, you know, and, and unfortunately today we have so many wars, right, against whether it's denominations or things like that, um, even ethnicity, right? So there are groups that have ethnic ghettos, I call them, where they warfare against one another because you're not Russian or you're mm-hmm. not Greek or you right. Right. Or not Irish or Italian or whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is, though all those walls of partition have been knocked down by Christ. Yes. And so we need to be in Him, as Ephesians said. Period. And that's really what we need to focus well, and, and on. In Jesus that's Christ, there's no Jew or Greek. You know. Well, right, right. So if you look at that and you look at the deposit of faith that the apostles have handed to us and that the church has had throughout the ages, that's where we've got to go. That's where we've got to hold on to those things. And and unfortunately, we've let that go. As you and I have spoken before, the church is now – you know, emphasizing ecology rather than the Trinity. It's emphasizing this idea of, of you know, um, being wealthy and happy and wise and all that rather than humility and having nothing and being a fool for Christ's sake. Uh, it's opposite. And if you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, everything in there is the complete opposite of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, blessed are the meek. No, the world says blessed are the strong and the rich and the mighty and yeah, educated. blessed
0: is Bill Gates, who's got billions. Right,
1: right. And so these are the things, you know. Or so Bezos the with more billions. The, the church is the antithesis to the world. And unfortunately, when the church marries the world and is compromised by the world, this is what we see happening. Well, the, ch- and, the church and is then marrying a harlot is what it's doing. Of course it is. Of course, can, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? And that's what we're seeing happening. We, we've got the church now that's compromised with the world in so many areas that they're more afraid of lawyers than mm-hmm. they are God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lawyers, you know, um, a
0: lot of churches will do will not do certain things they should be doing because some lawyer says you might get sued or it may cost you more on your insurance and everything else. So they choose not to do certain things. And once again, right. that, beca- that that's the beginning of your capitulation to the world. Just like, look, we, we talked early, already before about the virus in particular, how we've let it scare us out of our faith. And a lot of people are scared out of their faith, what little faith that they had. They're more worried about the virus killing them than about worshiping the God that can sustain them and give them eternal life. Oh, but, Lord, mm-hmm. I, 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 I love this life more than your word. That's what you're saying when you're running around more worrying about a virus. We've had viruses, illnesses, and all types of things occurring since the fall of man in the garden. This is nothing new. And we and and this virus in, in essence, and once again, maybe next week or the week after, I am digging, trying to get an unfiltered story about how many people really died in the United States and are not double counted. I'm running into little, I'm running into some trouble getting what normally is an easy number to get. Um, mm-hmm. Did we have an additional four hundred thousand people on top of the normal increase die last year? Part some sources say maybe some say no way, you know. So right. we don't know, and, and I and I'm looking. Uh, some I, somebody pointed out. Uh, I'm trying to remember who shared this. Uh, what they, a person was talking about earlier this year, they had a had a couple of in laws pass away, uh, one by one, not from COVID, just from you know old age, mm-hmm. and they they had heard a lot of funeral homes were overrun because of the virus and they they were asking this one funeral home you know, so you know has it really been overwhelming he said well I'll put it this way we made our profit already for the year but it wasn't from COVID <laughs> and and she what do you mean by that he said depression uh, suicide sure. alcohol yep. untreated diseases that people were afraid to go to the hospital and heart attacks that killed them Where they would have been, they would have lived, and he said that's what killed most of the people and made our entire profit by the middle of April for the year, and it wasn't people dying of quote COVID. So are there excess deaths this past year? Yeah, many caused by fear in the lockdown, not not the virus, and that's the one thing that CNN doesn't want to talk about. Now, did we we already know that? They've manipulated the numbers, and I, I wasn't going to get into this, you know, starting on the 20th of January. Coincidental date, I might add. Uh, the WHO changes the the standard, and they keep changing the standard for what a case is. So the case numbers are dropping like a, just just dropping like rocks. I mean, going down a hill. Case numbers are down. Well, we, we stop a 37-cycle threshold down to 20-something, realistic. And now we're not relying on it as the only sole determiner of a case. Of course, they're way down. And if we ever reestablish the same norms we had on the 24th of March last year, the death numbers go down that were attributed to COVID-19. But with that done, the church will still be told to, to abide by what the state says for its own good. And those are the words that make me more afraid than anything. The government wants the church to do something for its own good. Now, what, what, what's the reaction in your heart and mind when, when somebody says, this is for your own good?
1: Well, especially when it's the government or the unbelievers, um, the, gov- the world's never been our friend. It never will be our friend. We're told not to expect it to be our friend and don't look at it as our friend. Uh, that right there should tell you something. And we're in the spiritual warfare and people forget that. They think this is a, a, a medical warfare. They think this is a virology warfare. It's not. Mm-hmm. This is a spiritual warfare that those things happen to be a part of or, or are being used in it. You know, back – I sent you a document a while ago, you know, back in 2014 – 2015, we had 636,000 deaths that year from heart disease. Yeah. That's more than the 500,000 they're claiming now, and they're panicking. People are like, oh, my gosh, 500,000 people have died. Never have we seen anything like that. Folks over six hundred thousand people die every year from heart disease Alone. and other things okay so you're just not told that and this is the ignorance that we have out there the world is going to keep playing it up because the world is is not our friend you know what did john say we battle against what the world the flesh and the devil you know those three work in concert together yes and so you, you don't get one without the other and the flesh is drawn to the things of this world, you know. Every what did what did uh, Satan say to God when when he was dealing with Job? Skin for skin. What would a man a man would give anything for his life? Yeah. You betcha. Give up his freedom. He'll give up everything: his faith, his conscience, his his integrity. You betcha. Comfort but and Jesus, safety. You got it. When Jesus said, "Love not, love not the world." Uh, You know, or things are in the world, because if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. When when we talk about the book of Revelation talks about those who who seek the mark, right? Why do they take it? Because the love of the Father is not in them that's what we're told the love of the truth is not in them so i think that's important for all of us to take a look and see do i have the love of god the love of christ the love of the truth in me do mm-hmm. i have the word of god in me as well am i reading it am i is because that's what helps us to keep our way pure to to also to uh, discern good from evil, right from wrong, light from darkness. If we don't have those in there, we're just, say, playing church. You know, my parents... We're going to fall in line with the
0: world. My parents made sure that I went to a parochial school. And one of the things about going to the kind of school that I did, we memorized a lot of scripture starting literally in kindergarten. Not that much, not that often, but as every year went by, more and more on it, even to a daily basis. Now, when I was a uh, you know a little kid, that I like it. Would you like it? Probably mm-hmm. not. You know, it's, it's memorizing is not easy for some people. But you know something, as I got older in life, and things would be difficult. These words that I memorized as a child would somewhere come right out. They they be still there. We we don't we don't inwardly digest God's word anymore. And that, I think, is one of the greatest problems we face in our society today. Of those that call themselves Christians, they've never spent any time in his word of any consequence. They've maybe heard somebody read it, and they're busy thinking about lunch in an hour or so, and they got other things in their mind, and they, they don't quite understand how this psalm and this Old Testament reading and whatever all jive together. That They just don't know enough about God's word. And they don't really want to go to a Sunday school to learn more about it either. St. Paul had some really stern words for the church at Corinth, which is, if you want to, yeah, Corinth is probably pretty close to America today in many ways. Would you not, but they, they I would no, agree. No, yeah, They, if it was debauchery mm-hmm. or evil, they had it, and they were selling it, and they were promoting it. And he tells this church in Corinth, because they were still fighting this issue of, are they uh, Corinthians or are they Christians? I mean, they, they were having that issue. And, and, he, and right. he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? You know, in other words, you can't be a Christian simply in name only, you know, for eternal fire insurance. That's not what it's all about. You know, right. th- th- this is a surrendering of your of everything to Christ. <laughs> and you know, otherwise, we end up with people that are just devoid of the truth, depraved minds. You know, the reprobate mind that is that is pretty well infiltrated our world today, and our government and Hollywood and social media and the tech tyrants and the billionaire class they they are the reprobate mind and and everything seems normal to them yet if you have even just common sense you know these people are crazy
1: yeah well common sense with discernment right? A spiritual discernment. Because in, in a worldly sense, you know, one man's common sense is another man's idiocy. But at the same time, in a spiritual sense, there is a common sense. Uh, it's, it's a common moral ethical sense based on God's truth. And mm-hmm. that's where we need to be. When we have that, then we can see, as I always like to say, it is only in his light that we see light. And that is what scripture says. So, he's the light of the world, that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Mm-hmm. We've got to look to him. Without him, what do I have? What do I have? I have a, a thief and a robber. I've got somebody who's tried to climb up the, the gate in a, a different way instead of going through the door. He's the door. So, that's really what we need. In the end, you know, the church needs to, to reestablish its relationship with Christ we need to evangelize rather than just liturgize mm-hmm. if you're a liturgical church. And we need, to, we need to really bring home the word of God to people. And I, I, I'm glad that there are some churches, even liturgical churches, that, are, that have Bible studies and are getting people into the word. But it has to happen because there's only one book that's the word of God. Only one. Yeah, I'm always reminded of the story of that, uh, the Protestant individual from the 1800s, uh, Moody. Mm-hmm. Dwight no L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody, you know what he used to do? He used to get, go in the streets of Chicago. And I always thought it funny. He had the bowler hats in those days. And he used to take a Bible and put it down on the sidewalk and he'd put his hat over it. And he'd start screaming, It's alive! It's alive. And people would gather around like, what's he talking about? And he'd get a big crowd around. He'd lift his hat up, pick the Bible up, and he'd say, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow, judging the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And he'd, he'd end up preaching to them. And people wanted to know what the Bible was all about. Mm-hmm. You have many books on your shelf, but only one of them is alive. Only one is a living Bible. And that's what you need to to learn, read. Read it along with the lives of the saints, with things like that. You know, I always suggest that. So you're learning about the history of God's people while you're reading mm, his word. And, and these things are extremely important for us to do because it prepares our hearts and our minds for the days we're heading into. And you want to know something? As I've got
0: to say this. It's not. We don't share this to scare you into the kingdom. Uh, I've always had problems with, with preacher preacher friends that I've known over the decades, and you know when I was first exposed to a certain type of evangelicalism, uh, where the preaching was loud and Bible thumped and all that. And I know that they meant well, but you're never going to scare anybody into God's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't want you to be possessed by the spirit of fear anyway. I mean, this is—so it's kind of like, this is not the way we should be building Christ's church by, by scaring people. We should be building Christ's church by encouraging people and empowering people, and I think that's where much of the evangelical church has gone off the rails, and that's why, you know, they were scared into making their, you know, acceptance into a faith— and now they're scared of a virus because they've never learned how to overcome fear.
1: So in these closing moments, what do you have to say about fear? Well, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Those three things have to go together. And power is dunamas, which is dynamite where we get our term dynamite from, um, love, we know what that is, and a sound mind. We don't see many sound minds in the midst of No, we of see this. a lot
0: of reprobate minds.
1: Yes. Well, reprobate minds even ruling us, you're right. But also, confused minds, scared minds, minds that aren't uh, steady with Christ, in the peace of Christ. I think I'm we're a girl today. To I feel Christ. like a woman. Yeah, we're being blown to and fro, and, and with the fear, that's exactly what happens. That's why Satan is the one who authors that fear, fear of death. Look, the fact is, we shouldn't be that way. Only one individual, who is God himself, the God-man, can speak peace in the midst of your storm. Only one. And the waves will stop, and the wind will stop. And you will have peace, because he, remember this, is the Alpha and the Omega of your faith. One
2: night upon the sea, a ship was tossing to and fro, rakers down. Obey. He's the one who sails with me. He's the master of the sea. Though the storms of life may rage, the angel. He can calm life's troubles, sea, As he did in days of old As upon life's you sail Oh, trust in him who never fails I'm so glad he sails with me Yes, he's the master of obey his will when he says to them be still what bad is this they all did say that the winds and seas obey he's the one who says
0: think at times we as Christians forget that God is the master of the sea. Even the winds and the storms obey Him. And the storms of the life that you and I are going through, God can get us through. And it's, it's, it's amazing how many people that call themselves Christians are living in such a state of fear. He is the master of the sea. He's the master of the entire universe that he created. And he's greater than a coronavirus or any government that ever walked the face of this earth. We need to remember that more. And I think as we get into our weekend program, I had a good friend of this ministry suggest I need to spend more time with some messages of hope and give you the tools to get you through this time. And I'm gonna do that as we get into tomorrow's program want to thank Dr. Timothy Gales for being with me today and a couple of days this week. Let me know that you're listening. I'm trying to evaluate if we need to add, subtract, change anything with shortwave. Uh, let me know if you're listening. It makes a huge difference when and what station, what time, what frequency. You can send me an email and you can do Bob at truth, the number two, ponder.com, Bob at truth2ponder.com if you want to support us in a tangible way you can make a gift from there or you can use our mailing address make the check to ancient word radio ancient word radio and we are at 21 Berkshire B-E-R-K S-H-I-R-E 21 Berkshire Lane number 263 that's our secure P.O. box number 263 Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code here is 30537. Once again, thank you for listening to this program, and we'll see you tomorrow. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth